This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Friday, May 29th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, Pete Sampson from The Athletic, and Jack Freeman back at the Freeman Studios. Our first podcast here in a couple weeks. A lot to talk about. Uh, the, the NCAA gave college football permission to start bringing players back individually on June 1st. Irish Illustrated had a story earlier in the week saying that Nordane would be coming back on June 6th. That, of course, like everything else, has been amended. <laughs> and we'll get into that a little bit more. looks like it's going to be pushed back a little bit, especially with the NCAA Oversight Committee uh, coming up with a plan or announcing that they will be coming up with a plan here within the week. But uh, June is right around the corner, and football players will be coming back to the University of Notre Dame and many other places as well. Just not as early as other places, and that's going to cause some angst. But uh, as Pete mentioned kind of before the podcast, as long as there is a reasonable cushion um, in terms of conditioning and, as Tim mentioned, quarantining first, it's not that big of a deal. Now that an oversight committee is involved, you would hope that, I don't know, say Arkansas doesn't have 87 off-season practices before the uh, <laughs> before they go to August training camp because they're taking these things a little differently in some places. Yeah, it, I just say prepare to be frustrated if you're waiting for Notre Dame to come back and get the ball rolling in early June. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Brian, or Brian Kelly, and I think maybe more Jack Swarbrick has talked about the, the notion of competitive advantage. And, you know, it's really this is a good time to sort of shelve that concept for a little bit. However, I think that's probably what's going to be coming back. Um, you know, that the, the people are going to be angsty about when teams are starting, how many practices they're going to get. Um, and there's no real solution for that. I mean, Notre Dame had one spring practice. Some schools completed spring practice. Some schools had eight spring practices. I mean, you're not going to go back and retroactively give Notre Dame more days of spring practice in July because they didn't have as many in March or April as other people. So I, I ultimately, I don't think this is, going to be really what the story of the season is anyway you know how much you got back in june or july and i think from Notre Dame's perspective brian kelly's on record hey if we can get eight weeks or six weeks in great so i would think that the monday after the july 4th weekend if Notre Dame is having a full practice or a full you know hands-on conditioning at that point that's good i think i think Notre Dame can accept that and be happy with that the 52 of the 130 fbs schools did not even start spring practice, but they're, they're not going to be making up spring practice. And part of the proposal, which the NSA oversight committee has talked about, they're going to reveal that, you know, what, what they, um, what they recommend next week, but sports illustrates Ross Dellinger um, suggested that the teams that have games scheduled on August 29th, and we don't know that Notre Dame's definitely going to play Navy on August 29th or the following weekend, September 5th. But anyway, the, the teams that are scheduled to play August 29th would begin, um, you know, a six-week, like, preseason NFL-type setup uh, with a couple weeks of, of OTAs. But that would begin July 18th. So, you know, when Notre Dame comes back, and it doesn't look like it's going to now be June 6th, it'll be shortly thereafter, um, you know, there's not there's not going to be football practice per se. First of all, Notre Dame's going to test them and quarantine them. So the first two weeks, is, is, is they're going to deal with that. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't work out individually or they won't condition. Of course they will to some extent. It won't be organized, but um, to some extent they'll be doing that. So 
long story short, we can keep kicking around dates and what the possibilities are and who's coming back when and what the timetable is. But I don't think, I don't think practice time ultimately is going to be an issue in this situation, unless there are, unless there are some COVID setbacks uh, that, that prevent some, you know, prevent them from continuing on or for players coming back. The big thing right now is Nordame communicating to parents and players exactly what they're going to do. And Pete, not, not every parent is, is comfortable with the situation as it exists right now. No. And I, I think that, you know, there's a one perspective among, I think the roster is okay. Let's just get a core group of guys back. Um, you know, and like Ian book would be in that group. Brock Wright, you know, the, the four offensive linemen that basically live together, um, you know, Eichenberg, Kramer, Hainsey, and Banks. Patterson. Like, have, you know, and, yeah, I don't know if Patterson is involved in that group or not, but it, I think if you can get the bulk of your starting lineups uh, back and sort of just training and being around one each other in June, like, that'd be a good place to be. Like, you know, my understanding is, you know, book is likely to come back in mid June to early June. You know, the facilities might not be open. Um, but, you know, he's been in touch with Tommy Reese about, you know, he can go out and throw on the fields. Like Notre Dame is, well, I think they might not be able to get in the weight room uh, classically, but I think they'll be able to get over on their fields outside and, you know, sort of run and, and work out in that way. So, I, I think you're going to see like a core group of players back in mid-June, kind of like what, Tim, what you're saying that, you know, based on the Sorbrick interview, but then I think you'll have guys come back in July. And I'm, I mean, I'm really interested. I'm, I'm hopeful that this isn't sort of, everything is kind of, I don't know, kind of politically and divisively tinged these days. Like, I really hope that if you're a player who is not totally comfortable or your parents aren't comfortable with you back coming till July, that you're not seen as like, well, you weren't committed to Notre Dame football or, or, you know, practicing or training. Like it's just a weird time and it's going to be an awkward restart, but I think that's, I think that's okay. Yeah. Aside from the weight room, I think going back to what Tim mentioned, they'll work out individually. I mean, they'll work out in groups too. You know, they're, they're certainly when they're back together, they're not going to be, when they've tested, Ian Book's going to be right there with some guys working out. Yeah. Because you have to do it at some point or you're not having a season. <laughs> once once you come back, get tested, and, and you pass, you, you the goal there is then to stay among the pack and not spread out. I mean, you know, it's not as fun of a summer. They're not heading downtown, you wouldn't think. I, I would assume they would be strongly encouraged not to go out among others besides Notre Dame football players in that time period. Otherwise, what's the point of testing when they come back? They you go sit in a bar. <laughs> when phase yeah. three reopens the bar, what's the point of testing them now? In a in a segment, you know, a fairly large segment of the older players have been in South Bend this whole time. They had houses and apartments yeah. rented, and this is where they were going to be. As far as the weight room, they're going to be very, very well-structured and well-prepared. I don't know exactly how they're going to handle it, uh, but that that's that's a discussion that's been well underway, and they'll be well, uh, very prepared with that. Pete, my first reaction was, I thought they'd bring the young guys back first because they had more mm. to learn. But what, you, but what you're saying makes sense too. I mean, really, if you think about it, the core players, the starters, the guys that you know you're going to go to war with, you're better off getting them back. And then as far as the freshmen, you know, most of which aren't going to play a, a role, let alone a significant role, 
you know, they could come back a little bit later. I don't know for sure. That was just my first reaction. Okay. Hey, the young guys have more to learn. Uh, you bring that back first, but again, the first couple of weeks, uh, not that they won't be working out and conditioning. I'm sure they'll be able to do that, but the first couple of weeks are, are, um, that Notre Dame's going to proceed very cautiously uh, when they come back. My first, uh, thought, my first thought process as Tim was that young guys need it. And that's from us from the outside and Brian Kelly thinking, I would like to have my 45 best players working out sure. so I can go play football. Yeah. Right. right. It's funny. I was with you too, because we're on the outside, you know, and you're like, Oh yeah, well, Isaiah Foskey really needs to get back. Like, well, Ian Buck probably yeah. needs to be back, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like in normal times, I'd be totally with you guys. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like a spring practice mentality. It's like, who are the guys that are looking good in the summer? Like, if this, if for this season, I don't care. Like, no, it, it's not a, you know, the, the progress of Xavier Watts is not that important <laughs> to me. Uh, you know, the, the, can the offensive linemen actually work out together? And can Ian Buck throw the ball? Great. Like, let's get, let's see that again first. We expect we're we're still you know the whole Ireland thing um, and, and how I, we've been talking for months that it wasn't going to happen. We didn't think it would happen. Now we have a little bit more tangible information, I think, to work with. N- nothing definite, but I mean, we we expect if not if not today, today Friday or the beginning of next week, we we certainly expect a, an announcement to come regarding Ireland and. There are so many moving parts with what Notre Dame has to deal with, um, just in terms of with the players and bring them back. Not to mention libel issues <laughs> that you're that inevitably are probably going to come up at, in Notre Dame Stadium because you've got to host a minimum of six home games. Tim will talk about that further, but we fully expect the Ireland trip to be canceled here within the next few days, or to be announced uh, that it's not going to happen. I have not heard a single thing that makes me, and I haven't for months, that makes me think Ireland could happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're all, and we've all sort of been in that mindset for almost two months, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, other, other than, uh, you know, when, when we heard, when Ireland said there couldn't be crowds gathering of more than 5,000 and someone from Ireland said, oh, but that doesn't apply to the Nordic Navy game, which made no sense <laughs> what's, whatsoever. Um, so I don't, know where, I don't know exactly where that came from, but there is just so much for the University of Northern to deal with in terms of getting their players back. Not to mention, you know, I tried to, um, I tried to talk to to Mike Seaman, who is the the guy that's in charge of making sure everything operates smoothly in Notre Dame Stadium on game days. Now, I've known Mike since he was literally standing next to Lou Holtz on the sideline when he was his number one right-hand man student assistant back in the day. And he just, he couldn't, he couldn't of course talk about and speak on behalf of Notre Dame. That's Jack Swarbrick's job, but imagine the kind of things that these people are having to deal with in preparation for six home games and maybe a seventh, Tim, you want to talk about that? And Mike's uh, job just got harder. Yeah, the hardest job. He went from a a job that is always key for attention to detail and being on top of things to, uh oh, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's um, we've heard it from a couple sources, and this is bare of bad news, but uh, Lambeau Field probably won't be happening either in terms of uh, 
Notre Dame making its fans making their bucket list and an analyst and media making their bucket yeah. list trip to uh, Lambeau Field. It's it's a Notre Dame home game, so it could be played in South Bend under kind of Notre Dame social distancing plan. I uh, I assume know nothing about this, but logically speaking, if that would be agreed upon by Wisconsin, that would mean a trip to Madison instead of Soldier Field because the Soldier Field game for people that forget is nonsensically was Wisconsin's uh, home game in that series. That's not official, but you can see all these things. As careful as Notre Dame can be, that's a Notre Dame home game. They can, they can have it in South Bend. So as far as where the Notre Dame-Navy game would be played, I mean, we're confident Notre Dame's going to play Navy, whether it's August 29th or September 5th. Not sure about that. Um, places it could be played, certainly NFL stadiums. And Notre Dame's spending most of their season in NFL stadiums as it is. Go ahead, Tim. Wouldn't you guess that if given a chance, Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame and maybe Navy would want to see how week zero teams handle week zero and have the game be played on the fifth? I know it's last minute adjustments. It's not, not wholesale situations, but you can say, hey, look, this didn't work in these games that were played last week. We cannot use that in terms of entering the stadium, exiting the stadium, how we distance. I would just think even uh, would be seven more days of information, but five more days of information maybe would help out. And it really doesn't hurt not to have a buy if you're not coming back from, from uh, Ireland over that course of time. You don't, no one has a week two buy normally. I don't know. It's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I sort of view it as like going back to Wisconsin. If the reason you're not playing at Lambeau is because like you're unfamiliar with the facilities um, and you'd rather have more control over what's going on, like wouldn't it make more sense to either play in Annapolis where Navy plays the rest of its home games? Or maybe in a one-off situation, be like, hey, we could have this at Notre Dame. I, um, I, I was I wondering if they would have it at Notre Dame, but it, I mean, Notre Dame, they play them every year. They could easily return the favor and have two years in a row. Yeah, away from right, two in a row, right. Yeah, and I think Annapolis is in play. It only holds 34,000 <laughs> attendance, so capacity. So, um, you know, if, you're, if, if you worry about social distancing, how many – people are going to be in that stadium 10,000 12,000 15 max I mean, do we th- do we do we actually anticipate anyone coming to like wherever Notre Dame and Navy plays like I'm expecting that stadium to basically be empty uh you mean like to, like start by not having any fans there R- yeah pretty much yeah I it mean, was interesting yeah because that t- Tim and I were talking about this the other day Pete my conversation with Swarbrick that you know he talked about college football being the first one without any yeah. uh, or with fans with and all that the professionally week, starting. That week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, wasn't there some news yesterday about, was it soccer that was going to try to have fans? Is it, you should know that Pete. Uh, no, I mean, they're <laughs> not as far as I know. It's, okay. I mean, the German league's back with no fans. Um, I know the English Premier League is coming back, no fans. Uh, Italian league's coming back, no fans. Spanish league, same thing. Uh, so I don't, I don't anticipate that. You know, I think Swarbrick has mentioned this. Like the season's probably going to start out or could start out with no fans. It doesn't mean it's going to end that way. Um, it just it, it sort of goes back to like how simple can you keep it? And if I was college football in general. The, for the first couple of weeks, I'd be like, oh, let's do this with no fans, just like plan on that. And then hopefully we can adjust as things go. I don't, I don't know if it's going to work that way. You, you mentioned sort of trying to get in touch with Mike Seaman. Like I'm trying to do something with Brian Proct and ticketing and similar. So it's like, eh, I can't really talk to you yet because we don't know what we're doing. And like, 
it's sort of, you know, Notre Dame has been very top down in terms of its communication where it's Jenkins and then Swarbrick. And that's about sort of all that you hear, um, you know, with the exception of Brian Kelly here and there. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, if I was Notre Dame, I would, I would sort of plan to play, play in an empty stadium, at least for the first week of the season, just to yeah. kind of see how it goes. One last thing about this uh, before we veer off into a couple more sub- subjects and then go into segment two. Social distancing in Notre Dame Stadium holds approximately 81,000 people. If you were to reduce that to 30, um, and, and assuming that every, sick, every ticket in Notre Dame Stadium is sold, so if you reduce 50,000, face value that, according to my calculations, would be a, about a $40 million hit if you, didn't, if you weren't selling 50, 000, those 50,000 seats for Notre Dame Stadium. So in addition to everything else that Notre Dame is dealing with, they are about to, and I, I know everybody says Notre Dame has a lot of money, but they're, they're still, it's still big business and they're business people. They're going to take a massive hit for home games this year, uh, one way or another. I do want to, real quickly before we end this, Stanford grad transfer uh, Trevor Spates is now officially expected all along. He'll be coming to Notre Dame. Uh, people have mixed emotions about that. I get that. Recruiting has kind of stalled a little bit for Notre Dame. They're starting to offer some three-star running backs. Um, you know, the odds of getting LJ Johnson and Donovan Edwards were always steep. Once you, once the Will Shipley uh, pursuit came to an end. So um, Trevor Spates mixed emotions. I don't, I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> bring in a, bring a guy in that Lance Taylor believes that will be a positive influence on the running back room. I'm curious how it fits into the rest of the roster as it pertains to just sort of the 85 man scholarship limit. Cause like by my estimation, there are 89 scholarship players, yeah. which includes. We'll talk, M- we've got a question about that. In yeah. So it's like, but in terms of spates this season and I mean, was he about like 35? I tweeted out statistics last night, but it's, he's really done almost nothing in three right. years at Stanford. Some of that's been injury related um, 95 carries for 363 yards and one touchdown. Like, I guess I don't see how he's any different than, you know, Sebo Flemister, Jafar Armstrong or Jameer Smith or, or Kyron Williams. So really maybe it's just, you're playing the odds. Like you need one of those five to give you something. So instead of having four options, now you have five, I, but that's, that's really not a, a big compliment to how he's going to help your team. He's a little bit more of a home run threat than those guys. And I, and I've said this, I, I think the fact that he averaged an absurd amount of yards per carry in high school almost kind of hurts him because I think a lot of times he's looking for the big play instead of the four yard gain, which is all that is there and all that's uh, available. But I think he, he gives them a little bit more burst. Um, but so does Chris Tyree. So uh, maybe maybe you've got a tandem there that gives you a little bit more uh, than you had at running back last year. Do you have a player comparison, either of you guys, for Spates? Uh, uh, Alonzo Jefferson. You don't know who that is. Nope. <laughs> Pre-kneecap, Tim? He played a long, long time ago. What's that? Pre-kneecap, getting disposed to the back of his knee at Michigan, because that would be yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, Spates has had – I mean, the reason he didn't play last year was because of concussions, the way is, I understand Is it. Carlisle at all, the running back Carlisle, get 
get a yeah, I think yeah. get get which yeah. wide receiver Carlisle out of your mind to do running back Amir Carlisle. Yeah, I get a little weary of comparisons because or or ratings. You know, like Tristan Bounds, where would he rate in the? I just just evaluate a player for who he is, and this is what he does. But I but I but I get that everybody wants to. To, to have an, a, a, a vision, an image in mind, uh, like what they're getting. And may, maybe Amir Carlisle, uh, maybe a little bit more, a little stouter than that, maybe. How about, let's just say Rocket, make everybody happy at the end of our uh, yeah, okay. end of the segment. Is that good? Right, that'll work. Segment, like <laughs> segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is burning up the boards. We start with a question from M. Solner, given the major changes to spring football scheduling and possibly fall, is it likely that Notre Dame finishes spring camp in June and then follows a normal fall camp timeline in August? Is there any likelihood they won't get all of their allotted practices in? We've we've addressed this a little bit. I think spring is just not in the consideration anymore in terms of the 14 missing practices. It's all about being prepared for but not a normal fall camp. They would like to prepare for an extended fall camp, as Tim mentioned, um, if they could do the six-week model um, that's longer than a regular August camp. But I don't think I don't think spring is a consideration anymore. The skill development lost from that time. It's more important that they're not all getting soft tissue injuries, I believe, when they when they come back to acclimate. Yeah, I think it's a matter of just conditioning and training. And then maybe you could have like an extra week of of quote unquote training camp. Sure. But you don't you're, know you're not making email, you're not making up those practices because like you're going to make up those practices, but then well, when are you going to make up the summer conditioning? Like, but you just have to start with the summer conditioning because I mean they can't come back and just start practicing anyway, right? Like that's mm-hmm. no. aside from the quarantine aspect of it, like they're not physically fit enough to just no here, way. Here's spring practice number two, like that that's not going to work. Well, that would be like let's say everything followed the normal pattern spring etc that'd be like them coming back for the first semester of of june and and you know hitting the ground running practice wise they don't do that they can't do that so it, it's yeah. it's all good especially if they follow this six week um model that has been suggested it's it's going to work out just fine and i you know look again not every the sec is not going to be as cautious as notre dame coming back and testing and quarantining. And I'm sure that'll be criticized because everything Notre Dame does is criticized. So by Notre Dame fans, not, <laughs> so I'm sure that I'm sure that'll be wrong as well, but that's what they're going to do because that's Notre Dame and they want to try to do things the correct way. As far as the allotted practices, they're probably going to have more than they would have if you follow yeah, in a six, six week, week period six week model. So, so yeah. Especially if, if you if your if somehow your summer conditioning bleeds in or almost bleeds into camp, maybe the NCA also lifts the five practice rule before you can hit in pads and it becomes three like it is in the spring. I mean, if 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 you're conditioning all those times, you, you technically why would you have to acclimate for five full practices before you're hitting each other? <clears throat> normally, you're normally you're back from a bit of a break. You know, when you, if you start August camp mm-hmm. on August third, you've been home and all that. It's not a uh, or home as in not practicing with the team at least. We have a question from C underscore Bogan, 1989. Is the commitment of Trevor Spates more of a contingency plan as opposed to getting a highly rated running back? I don't know if I would describe it in either. Like it's, it's not getting a highly rated running back. Um, 
I don't think it's a contingency plan either because that the implications they're like somebody's injured or you know is about to depart the program. I just you know somebody had tweeted at me last night after the commitment. It's like oh I'd, I'd rather see those those carries go to a, a younger back. And I think what the Spates transfer is is like Lance Taylor and the coaching staff don't really agree with that. That there's not the younger backs haven't shown them enough that they do need to have those carries um, because if there was this overwhelming confidence in the younger backs, like if Sebo Flemister, Jameer Smith, Kyron Williams had really impressed Lance Taylor through his first season here, I don't think that Notre Dame would have been in the market for Trevor Spates, but they haven't. So that's why he's here. And Pete, um, Tim and I mentioned on a Irish illustrated video that kind of going back to the Cam Smith thing, like sure the younger guys were better than Cam Smith, like Kevin Stefferson and Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin all proved to be better than Cam Smith, but they felt they needed Cam Smith, a veteran at that time in the room. Sometimes that happens too. I mean, it might be that you don't trust the running backs to greatly improve because they haven't shown Mm -hmm. to be professionals in working at their craft. That's what the wide receiver room was about when they brought in Freddie Canteen and Cam Smith. It's not like they didn't think Claypool, Stefferson, Boykin, Equinemius St. Brown and Fink couldn't play. I mean, all those guys are better than Cam Smith. But you yeah, I, I mean, the Trevor Cam Smith, you know, Trevor Spates is very much like in the canteen Cam Smith group in terms of grad transfers. It's like <laughs> you can get a, a functional guy who maybe can help you leadership, maybe on the right. field a little bit, but you're not, this isn't like Nick McLeod. You're like, bring this guy in to start. Cody Riggs, bring this guy in to start. Trevor Spates, bring this guy in to help maybe is, you know, from chemistry locker room leadership way. The notion that guys are going to, we've talked about this before, the notion that guys are going to miss out on reps that younger players should be getting, that's a, that's a fan perspective that doesn't really exist in, in real college football. You have, there are so many, you start every practice breaking down by position. You, get, you, you start with your reps there. There are so many reps to be had over the course of a practice, over the course of a week, over the course of preseason, over the course of an entire season. There are so many reps to be had on the football field. Nobody, nobody that is deserving of reps is missing out on important reps. Right. I agree with that last part, but I would add a lot of people, not a lot of people, four or maybe five running backs needed reps in the spring that they didn't get. And that made space that, more, no, that yeah, made space spring, even more That's important. different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, of, of course, especially young guys need that, especially as they're learning the offense and defense. Right. They need to learn what they're doing. They need to learn what the call is. Uh, they need to learn what the guy next to them is going to do. I, 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 I get that part, but nobody that deserves reps is going to be denied again, especially if you have the extended preseason. Matt's Rogers asks with all the incoming grad transfers, do you see that as more of a one-off thing this year or something Notre Dame could use as a new model? Anything about Notre Dame in particular that makes it attractive for a one-year grad transfer versus other colleges. Do younger players resent grad transfers? Hmm. I mean, there's a lot in there. Um, Bad ones do. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because somebody replied to Trevor Spate's transfer on Twitter to me last night with by tagging Kyron Williams about like, hey, I'd really like to see this guy play. And Kyron Williams liked it within two seconds. Um, like, I mean, there are, you know, we can talk about younger players and the reps. And do they need them? Do they not? They want them. Um, and now it's going to be harder for them to get them. So, you know, if, if you're Kyron Williams, I wouldn't be too thrilled about this at all. But that's not really the point of, you know, whether Notre Dame is winning or not. I Ultimately, the, the grad transfers, I think this is probably more of a one-off. Um, 
as it relates to running back and cornerback had been recruited very poorly um, by the previous coaches. So there are holes at the roster, the coronavirus pandemic and the recruiting dent that that's making is significant. I would, if I was Notre Dame, I would have much more confidence in evaluating a three-year college player than a three-year high school player. Um, So maybe this, this cycle and next cycle, if recruiting doesn't, um, you know, the recruiting calendar doesn't open up a little bit more. I could see Narim going more to this model. Uh, and ultimately, it's it's the best way to get to 85 scholarships um, because you're you're just getting a couple guys to fill in the gaps at the end to get you right to the limit. Um, so I think in that way, it's that, it, you know, I could see Narim being consistently taking one or two, but I don't, I don't think they're going to be taking four very often. I, th- I think that's a, a great point, a great way of putting it, Pete, that you know, you'd rather evaluate a guy that's been in college three years and a guy that's been in high school, you know, for four years. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily a one-off or a new model. I think right. it's a situation that they're in. And if they don't, you know, if down the road they don't recruit better in some areas, you you, you do it again. I, I think that they looked at the situation. I think they've maximized the situation really, really well. Um, and, and so, you know, they did what they had to do. And if you have to do it again down the road, you go ahead and do it. Do younger players resent grad transfers? I I would imagine so. (laughs) However, those younger players, some of which will be in a grad transfer position down the road, will be happy about that opportunity, uh, later, if not now. I think that's the one aspect of this why I don't think it's a new model of where you're going to get four, but they're always going to get one or two now because they're always going to lose one or two now to grad transfers. Like Michael Young was supposed to be a starting wide receiver on this team. Derek Allen was supposed to be a, when they recruited him, was supposed to be a rising junior that could compete alongside Houston Griffith. Pete mentioned cornerback and running back you're getting transfers out. Now Brian Kelly realizes I can just get transfers in and it's a lot easier noting to get grad transfers in because you know what you're getting in the player. Um, and he doesn't have to sit out. And even Isaiah Pryor safety, they lost Derek Allen, Isaiah Pryor. I know Derek Allen wasn't truly in the plans since he got on campus, but he was certainly in the plans when they recruited him. Mm-hmm. So those are all positions of need because you've lost someone. I think you are going to continue to lose people and four would be high. I agree with you, Pete, but I don't know. I think they're going to be bringing in two all the time. Yeah, I think four is a lot, but man, when you get, when you get, I mean, none of us, none of us expected them to be able to bring in a guy like, like Nick McLeod, you know, a couple months ago, you didn't, you didn't anticipate. He makes four better than three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he makes them so much better in so many ways, not just his ability, but what it, what it allows you to do with Tariq Bracey, what it allows you to do with Isaiah Rutherford, KJ Wallace and Cam Hart, uh, the trickle down effect of that move is so significant that if you ever run into that situation again, you absolutely nab a guy like that and, and everybody benefits. I think Notre Dame is somebody asked me <laughs> in my mailbag, like, is this, you know, have they changed their perspective? I do think Brian Kelly has changed or adapted or evolved to like initially said the grad transfers we're looking at are guys that we've been involved mm-hmm. with in recruiting. Um, that's clearly no longer the case. That doesn't mean that, you know, they were involved with Isaiah Pryor seriously in recruiting, but they weren't involved with Nick McLeod. Um, you know, the Trevor Spates connection is to Lance Taylor. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's just like regular recruiting now. Um, does this guy fit or not opposed to we have to have had recruited him in the past. I think that's good. That shows more of an open mind 
in a in a good way from Notre Dame's football operation. Marcy three one three zero. I know you don't like to speculate on this topic, but with the recent grad transfers, we're somewhere in the high eighties for scholarships. Have you heard anything with regard to how they're going to get down to eighty five? It's that time of year where the angst. And I'm not saying Marcy 3130 has angst, but I know a lot of people. It's that time of year where they're always going to be over this number and somehow they have to count down to 85. And as God is my witness, they're going to do it. They can't not. <laughs> it that is will happen. Rule. It that will your, happen. That's so your second guarantee. Kevin Austin will be starting. Oh, I'm, I'm, and, st- and I'll stick, I'm sticking with that one. But somehow, some way, they will get down to 85 yes. because they have to. And, they it, will. And, it, and the players that will, that will be go, gone from the current 89, you're never going to miss them. I, you know, they've been, as they've gotten more aggressive with the 85, the players who are cycling out are probably players 65 through 85, if that makes sense. Um, sure. Oh, it makes total sense. <laughs> they have yet to lose a player over the summer that I can think of that it was like, oh, he was going to start, or he was in the two deep um, necessarily. So it's back end roster churn. That's college football in 2020. It's been college football for quite a while. I don't know who those players are going to be, but you can look at Notre Dame's roster and say, like, okay, he hasn't played a lot and has two more years of eligibility. This might be a good time to make a move. We can we can throw out three names. Tim, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I want I want to add that um, they wouldn't be at 90 right now if not for COVID and the cancellation of spring because you'd have had two buried guys transfer in spring like you always do, like Luke Jones. Whether you're a junior, a sophomore, a freshman, you would have had somebody else realize I better accelerate and grad transfer out, like DJ Morgan, um, who has already finished up in Connecticut by the way after playing. So there's plenty of guys at Notre Dame that either enrolled early and are becoming juniors or seniors that don't have to play football this last year. And I don't think I want to throw this in. I don't think the staff wants to take the scholarship. And when I say wants, I think they believe these players are better. Nick Asaph and Colin Grunhard, who earned scholarships last year, quote unquote, one semester scholarships. I think they will be part of the 85. And that's how many people Notre Dame will lose. I don't think Brian Kelly is saying is going to take away the scholarship of Colin Grunhard in his two deep. Yeah, I don't think so either. Nick Asaph might be a captain. We're we're basically <laughs> now there, that there one I would agree with. Five guys, right? Like, yeah, I think we've sort of looked over the chart, and it kind of looks like they're at ninety. Um, you know, Isaiah Robertson, I think, is okay to talk about. Like, he hasn't played; he's been injured a lot. Um, was out of the bowl game. Like, Brian Kelly been, mentioned they, academic did, issues in the spring. Did early enrollment, um, so you know, it, it has logged enough semesters that you think he could probably do a, a grad transfer out. Um, yeah, I, I think those that's the kind of player that you're looking at. It's like, okay, maybe there's an option there for this guy to, to go on and play more somewhere else, like DJ Morgan, as was mentioned just, just a second ago. And there are a couple injury situations, which, which we've written about in the Counting Down the Irish series. Um, Cole Mabry, the offensive lineman, has had a series of things, including a, a, a neck situation, a, a potential nerve issue in the, in uh, his neck, which is a, which is something you have to be cautious of. I, you know, I mean, you hope that for the individual, you hope that physically he can rebound, but that's one. And we, we know that Dylan Gibbons has had significant foot issues that he's been dealing with here the last 12 to 18 months. I think Gibbons is, yeah, Mabry makes a lot of sense. I think Gibbons is in that position where he could probably though, 
maybe it's not up to him. Maybe his foot won't let him, but you might want to try to force your way through that last year just because you want to play with your teammates one last time. But if you can't, I mean, if you can't go to, yeah. if you can't practice consistently on a bad foot as a 305 pound guy, that's, that's tough. I, I don't wish that upon any senior offensive alignment. I feel like if you're a freshman and you have foot issues, this kind of happened to Brad Carrico about 10 years ago. You're like, man, there's no way you're going to be able to play football for four years. It's just hurt. It would hurt Gibbons more. I think to be like, told almost he can't play because of his foot when you're just at the very end of it right here because you know he's been fighting it for a while it's not like all yeah. of a sudden he had bad feet you know and the reason we hesitate the reason I hesitate to talk about this because I don't want to push a kid out the door in Notre Dame that's you know he's fighting for his football career he wants to get his Notre Dame degree but as you look uh, at, you know as you look at the depth chart who are the guys that are older in a position to to grad transfer and don't look like they're going to see the time of day. One name that jumps out there is Kofi Wardlow uh, at defensive end, who is a senior academically this year. Now, I always wonder about seniors though, because they're there, you know, if you, if you graduate first, they, then I think it's a really good point, but the seniors are, the seniors aren't transferring before graduating. <laughs> no, true. definitely going to graduate. True. Yeah. True. Um, you know, and he physically, he looks, he looks pretty darn good. He's really, yeah. he's really, he, he's made his body, uh, transformed his body into a major college body but just to answer the question that's an upperclassman who's pretty much been buried on the depth chart um you know every step of the way Micah Jones is a junior right academically but he was an early enrollee he's been pretty much buried on the depth chart and if you're a friend or family member of of Kofi Wardlow and Micah Jones again I'm not trying to push anybody out but just to answer the question these are some of the guys that have been kind of lower and buried on the, the depth chart. Well, spring weeds this out. Samson's and there was no laughing spring. at me. Honestly, spring weeds this out and there was no spring. That's, yeah. That, that's, that's, when yeah guys, that's when guys see their lot in life for the next year. But somehow, some way they will get down to 85. Scott <laughs> they, will. they will. It will occur. Bill Irish, which position group are you most excited to watch develop this season? I like this question because it's an actual just everyday standard football question. <laughs> How about that? Tim, you like it. You answer it first. I Go do. Ahead. I'm excited to see the new wide receivers because while Chase Claypool's blocking and playmaking will not be replaced, uh, Kevin Austin I've been waiting to see for three years, and Braden Lindsey. Man, he had a nice second half of uh, – I really think Braden Lindsay's best year is going to be 2021, but I'm really excited to see what Lindsay can do. When you have that one-two punch, if that one-two punch comes through, I think then the rest of the guys kind of fill in. You, you can do a lot with the rest of your tight ends and wide receivers as long as those two come to play. Receiver, for sure. I'd say. I'm not sure I could – you know, I'm, I'm curious what happens at corner with some of the younger players, but receiver, to me, that's, that's the position I want to see most. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think uh, I want to see what Ben Skoranek does. I, I want to see certainly what Kevin Austin can do. The guy that I think I wrote a story last week um, that took Jack like three hours to put together. It took Jack as long <laughs> to put it together as it did for me to write it. No, that's not true. It took a long time to write it. But it was a it was a wild card story, and I threw 20 guys in there because I couldn't – I was going to make it 15, and I just couldn't. I One couldn't work the roster it. was the wild. So game. I made it. So I, yeah, I made it twenty. And for me, a guy that, and this is in accordance with what you guys are saying about wide receiver. I think Avery Davis is a real interesting guy here, uh, listed number two on a depth chart in the slot behind Lawrence Keys. Lawrence Keys, I'm, I'm sure is the starter, but he he hasn't developed yet. We don't know where. Does he is he 
put together well enough to get through a full season, you know, healthy. I think Avery Davis is a real wild card here. So, I mean, I'm echoing what you're saying at receiver, but I do want to say cornerback because I'm kind of, I'm fascinated by just everything that Nick McLeod coming to Notre Dame, how it benefits <laughs> that entire position because of the trickle down effect. I think he's a starter. He's definitely on the field. They've got their nickel situation figured out. And you don't have to rush Rutherford, Wallace, and Hart to get on the field at corner. I like Nick McLeod, but I'm about to pile on the recruiting. If we are this fascinated by Nick McLeod coming in and seeing what he can do at Notre Dame, they did not bring in enough good corners after the 2016 class. Well, we know that. I, tried. I know. We know it's that. Like, it's like the most engrossing football story of the offseason. They brought in Nick McLeod. <laughs> you know? At least when they brought in Cody Riggs, they had Kavari Russell and Cole Luke. <laughs> It wasn't yeah. even desperate. This is like, uh, but I like Nick McLeod a lot. Um, I would add safety with uh, the the battle, especially what what Tim hears about DJ Brown, because we all think Isaiah Pryor and um, Houston Griffith, and Tim has multiple multiple times thrown that third hat in the ring. And from what you heard from from a, from a pretty good source on the matter, <laughs> and Clark. Yeah. Lee. Well, and and you know, once again, Buck Linebacker. We were talking about Buck Linebacker last year, and Asmar Bilal emerged as a is a real quality fifth-year senior. But, you know, uh, although I will say this, and I, and I wrote this in talking in writing about Osida Aquanu in the Counting Down series today, is Buck linebacker wide open? Or you have a senior there, Jordan Jenmar Keith, and you have Jack Lamb, who already had earned a spot, <coughs> at, you know, at the position in sub-packages. Is it wide open, or do you have, you have a clear two? Right? A buck linebacker? Yeah, I think that Clark Lee told me that Jordan Jenmar Keith had the best offseason that he's seen any player have <laughs> since he's been at Notre Dame. Wow. So, Tavon Coney had an offseason of all time for Clark yeah, Lee. Yeah, and that was, you know, physically weight room, getting his body in shape. Um, so Understanding fact, what he needs to do? Is that? Yeah, I mean, that? so if Lee's going to go that far – um, and he's pretty reserved with praise. Like, I think I'm I'm happy to take that at face value. Um, I am too. Because he's so I think Priester is probably right. I I don't know if Buck Linebacker is that much of a competition. He said that about Tavon Coney too. Before we saw Coney good, I asked him about yeah. this is his first year, and he said about Coney, I did not notice Tavon Coney in the spring at all. And this is the year he broke out is a, in 2017, ended up taking a starting job, dominated the Citrus Bowl, and became their best linebacker. He's like, but his summer was outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. So this is an August camp interview, so it's similar. You're just, you're, he's at, yeah, yeah. Ted Markeith is ahead of schedule here. I think Ted Markeith might have had his head on his shoulders a lot longer, too, than Coney, of course. That's part of it. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, we talk about the pecking order of Buck linebacker. Clearly it's Drew White and Bo Bauer at, at, at Mike linebacker. And clearly it's Owusu Kormo and Paul Mawala at, at Rover. So why am I even talking about linebackers if it's so damn clear? <laughs> All right, moving on to BP6161. Will you guys get to have access to the team in preseason? My thoughts would be no, but one to ask what you think will happen. Also, any rumblings on how the schedule will play out as it pertains to playing all of their opponents and travel, will domestic travel be allowed? There's a lot, lot to that one, right? I mean, yep. I you asked Sorbrick about you know our jobs and what kind of access we will have. I'm assuming that it will be basically nothing. Um, 
you know, that, that we're not going to see, and there's not going to be any open practices. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. It's, you know, it's certainly not, maybe it would be limited. Um, but I, I fully expect to be at the games. Um, and I definitely plan on driving to them whenever humanly possible. I would, I assume there'll be no access and that Brian Kelly and his coordinators, probably Brian Kelly five times and his coordinators once before media day, hopefully would come on, a Zoom, would come on a Zoom call, a, a, either an off-day Zoom call or a post-practice, probably post-practice mm-hmm. for Kelly or off-day Zoom call. The problem with that is submitting the questions as of now has been ahead of time. We, yeah, he we can't, can't sit there that. for a half hour after – well, he can't sit there for a half hour after practice because um, those are like 10-minute interviews with Brian Kelly after practice. He can't sit there for a half hour after practice every day uh, or five times a month. So I think it will just be scheduled Zoom calls um, maybe, on their, maybe on their off days, you know, where they – yeah, we, no, I mean, I, yeah, we don't have any idea right now. It was, I go ahead, Tim. Like they're not going to put us in front of Kelly though. Where, why would we go sit no. and wait in the goog to talk to Kelly? That doesn't make any no. sense with what's and, going on. You know, one thing we haven't talked about and Swarbrick and I talked about, I mean, you know, well, first of all, I said, to him, we we're talking about all the things that had to concern yourself with. I said, well, by the way, what are you going to do with us? And he said, yeah, what do we do with you? <laughs> it was he, would, he could have said that any year though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, You know, press box situations, post games, you guys know the the smallest room in the stadium is always reserved for the media to pile in there. You leave that room, you're sweating like the players were during the game a half hour earlier. Um, You know, those situations are totally up in the air that, well, they're not totally up in there. They are no, not done. putting us in those, <laughs> those rooms anymore. And so how do you do it? Do you wait? Do you sit in the press box and get on a Zoom? You've got to have some interaction. You can't, like you said, Tim, you can't, you know, post questions ahead of time. Maybe you can. I mean, I guess if they say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll do the interview, but uh, submit your, you know, like how yeah. the media, uh, the uh, sports information will come up and say, who do you want to talk to? They'll come up to you and say, what questions do you have after the game? And I'll submit them to Coach Coach Kelly. I, I would hope that they would figure out how to make Zoom work the way that my kid's kindergarten class does, where you can <laughs> moderate the discussion and then unmute people to ask their question. Um, I understand why they haven't done it yet, but yeah, I meant, hopefully I they meant, can get um, there during the season. I meant August camp. If we're not watching practice, we can submit our questions ahead of time because we have no new question anyway. But at the game, you have to be able to – Follow up. Follow up. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, you know, it, August practice. I don't see the August practice. I don't have to. Fu- I guess the only thing would be I don't a follow question. I mean, question. I you know maybe maybe we will get into practice and be like, hey, you stand over there, you stand over there. I mean, they're that they're pretty be. right, pretty strict in where we're allowed anyway. So just separate us out. Like I'm, I'm happy I'm, to stand in this corner the whole time. You're actually right. Pete's right though, especially the new Irish athletics complex. We never pass anywhere. Well, we didn't pass near the team anyway, uh, indoors, but we go straight up. There is plenty of room for even extended media. If you brought everybody other than like a media day at the top of that thing to sit six feet apart easily at, mm-hmm. uh, watching that practice, by the way, they're going to want to test us, right? I don't know. I mean, do, do we have contact with people or not? I don't, There's not sports sure. information department. We will, to some extent, if we're in a press box, you know, we can, we can socially distance in the NFL press boxes because they're so large and Notre Dame's too, as yeah. long as they're discriminating and who they, uh, you know, allow in from the quote media. But 
I got to believe at some point they're going to say, you know, you're going to come around Notre Dame football. We got to test yeah. you too. That could be. As far as the, the schedule, is uh, BP6161's question about the schedule, USC Stanford is up in the air until there's some clarification from the state of California. And not right. like Buck Linebacker. Worse than that. <clears throat> right. Uh, yeah, like the game maybe not being played. Tim, yeah, Tim already mentioned, you know, Wisconsin perhaps being played in uh, – or probably being played in, in Notre Dame Stadium, or perhaps, say perhaps for now. Domestic travel, well, we're all going to have to deal with that. You guys ready to jump on an airplane? I'm going to Manhattan Beach no matter what. doesn't matter. Still going. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not, if, if USC is not played and Still Ireland going. is not played, drive to Atlanta, drive to Charlotte. Um, you know, if Wisconsin East. is Lambeau or here, whatever, it's, you know, that's a short Pittsburgh. Not like D.C. would not the one. What's that? DC is a bit of a drive that would for working the next day and all that kind of stuff. You know, you, you lose a day. Sure. Yeah. I like, think I'm still trying to fly to Charlotte. Yeah. Because I know. It, how sad because, would it be? Like I finally fly to Charlotte. For that game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> finally fly to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, I, I mean, for us personally, for me personally, it's a Tim too. I mean, post game, you know, I, the game is not over until, I've gone over the game and written it up again after I've watched it and written it up again. So driving back from Charlotte, it's not yeah. a great option for, uh, for me. I'm telling you, man, we were talking already, Tim, Pete, the three of us about Lambo and how we were going to have to carpool no matter how inconvenient it was. So we could work on the way home Sunday. <laughs> I mean, add some hours to that with, with Atlanta and Charlotte. That's a, I have to pull over and write at a hotel, a very, yeah, clean, a very clean one. I don't want to. I don't even want to think about that. Right, it, it's tough enough doing the job the way we do it under normal circumstances. Let alone adding that. Uh, we've got one more question. It's from Terry Benedict, and it is with Docu Series all the rage. If you had to pick a Notre Dame team or Notre Dame player to watch a series on, whom would it be? I would want to watch beginning in about March of 2016 through the hiring of all the new coaches. The entire train wreck and rebuild of 2016 to 17 wow. would be the most fascinating thing I could watch at Notre Dame in, Reese, in the Brian Kelly era for sure, because I would like to know how all that went down and was, well, I'm never going to find out how all that went down if you don't get to watch that docuseries. That would be true riveting television for me how, the the uh the conversations between swarbrook and I kelly and not imagine right and all the, the firing of van gorder in season everything that happened that season all the guys they brought in afterwards everything that happened in the summer you'd be watching be like oh yeah see that's why they're gonna lose to duke right there that's you can see it right there while they're working out they're Brandon tiasson's on top of a tarp in the stanford game they could vote they could go right in on that again i would love it <laughs> i would like to get to the bottom once and for all of the 2012 season as it relates to Manti Teo. I mean, that's, if you can, if you can give me all access behind the scenes for that season and everything that went on, I mean, that season was insane. Um, I mean, you think about like, they almost lose to Purdue. They have sort of like this weird quarterback controversy yeah. after that game. You're like, this team is all over the map. The Teo situation later that month, the Oklahoma game, the Pittsburgh game, uh, the night after Wake Forest, and then obviously, like, 
I would need oh, a very forensic deep dive into the Alabama game as well. Like I would, I would sit down and watch a 10 parter on that one. You know, oh. to add to that, you could find out the professor's name that Golson didn't remember who he missed uh, practice. With I mean, that totally gets lost. Professor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? What's his name? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm meeting with him. Yeah. I was, uh, those, those are, those are, uh, those are great. And I think, you know, I think Manti Tail was, basically genuine in in throughout that but i don't know that the people around him would would necessarily concur with that Uh, i was thinking of it more in terms of what player what player story would you like to have told and and i would say chris zorich first 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 and foremost from what he came from and getting into notre dame and proposition 48 and you know, everything with that went with that. And then I would throw in Justin Tuck because uh, didn't project toward Notre Dame. You guys know how difficult it was for him to, um, you know, communicate with the media early on. And then for him, third round draft choice, for him to build the professional career that he did to the point where he's doing subway commercials, you know, upon um, <clears throat> post career I, just, I think he'd be I think he'd be a fascinating story but for me first and foremost I think it'd be Chris George because I lived that I lived that with him I mean I literally sat down with him shortly after his you know after he found his his mother his mother had passed away um you know I mean just the just the emotions of him and I sitting there doing that interview were extreme uh, but I think I think I think he'd be a great story. Those would be my ideas with that. Do we have any other questions? I don't have, I don't think I have. I think we've pretty much we didn't we didn't get into all the recruiting and the angst and everything that's gone <laughs> with that. Um, what what is our angst about? Mainly recruiting? mainly because I don't we don't feel the angst like a lot of other people do. Um, I'm not panic about Tristan Bounds being a part of Notre Dame football in the future because I think he does a lot of things fundamentally right and oh yeah he's six seven and a half 285 who's a pretty good athlete that stays on his feet as an offensive lineman which is balance and staying on your feet are two of the greatest assets an offensive lineman can have and he has the frame to do it so I'm not as panicked by it I I know that they offered a couple three-star running backs that are so-so but um, so we didn't address that but I think we addressed most of Everything that we could up to this point about Notre Dame returning, Tim. Three-star running back. Three-star running backs often change the channel on your radio dial, so it's a good thing we didn't bring That's that up true. at the very yeah, end. Nobody, yeah. I'm not going to break down my analysis of the three-star running backs now, but we appreciate you joining us here today. We will, uh, as we get into June and players start coming back, you're probably going to hear from us a little bit more frequently than perhaps you would have in June. Uh, you can always tune into our one, two, threes. Tim and I and Jack, we do those uh, three or four of those every week. And so that hits many of the the pertinent topics. Pete Sampson from The Athletic, thank you for joining us. And this has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Irish Illustrated. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support.
Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.